the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cape Creek, Arizona. All righty. Well, we got a lot of things going on this week here up at the North Valley Congregation. We have our what we call our family retreat, where many of us will go up to Prescott, Arizona, up north, where it's cooler. We have that camp up there, the Copper Basin Bible Camp, uh, that we we like to attend and go to. And we go up there for several days to you know kind of disconnect from the world, disconnect from our devices. And just have a, a good fellowship with our fellow brothers and sisters and talk about the Word of God. We're always uh, excited about that. If you're interested in doing things like that, you can uh, set a time or reserve, and it's real cheap. It does not cost much to rent there at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. In fact, uh, let's see, what do I got here? We got a lodge up there, a big lodge with a, a many sleeping spaces for just $100 a day. There are um, uh, the camp use fee also is $18 per person per day. And I think if you, do, if you don't use the, ca- uh, the lodge, you just use the cabins. And there's uh, several cabins. There's one, two, three, four, five. And they can sleep everywhere from, let's see, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 76 people in all the cabins. And there's bathhouses uh, and there's a hag where you can cook, uh, plenty of cooking space there. So without using the lodge, just using just the, the cabins and that what's called the Hague, a large meeting room with a kitchen facility, it's $18 per person per day. That's it. That's pretty cheap. That's pretty awesome. And it's a real nice camp. You should take a look at it, copperbasinbiblecamp.org, if you're interested in, in, in that sort of thing for yourself and for your your folks. All righty. Um, is that it? Oh, oh, yeah, I want to talk about the, the golf tournament. Uh, we have the... Charity golf tournament we do every year. This year it's going to be on June 1st over at the Troon North Golf uh, Golfing Area Golf Club up here in northern Scottsdale off of, uh, I think it's called Rio, it's Rio something. Well, Dynamite Road. I can never, never, never remember what they changed the name of that road into over there, but Dynamite Road up where, where, where how I remember it. It's going to be June 1st, 1.30, shotgun start, foursomes. It's a you know best ball uh, goes forward to keep the, the game playing. There will be the $1 million hole, uh, hole in one. There's going to be other prizes. We have a rifle. We have other things. And it's a great lot of, a lot, lot of fun. And it goes to support the Copper Basin Bible Camp, the kids that, that attend there to keep the prices down. Also, the OCJ Kids Foster Care here in Arizona, all the funds go to that. If you're interested in that, let me know here on the Redeeming the Time radio program. Uh, you can uh, um, email me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at rmcnews.net. Email, email me there. 
and I will get you the information for the golf tournament. Now let's get to more important things. Let's take a look at what we're already studying this uh, this afternoon. And I want to, I want to be looking at Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, uh, something interesting happens here. <clears throat> Down at verses 20 and following, uh, a situation between Jesus and those who oppose him. You know, it's kind of like a, in politics. You're When you can't defeat somebody's argument, what do you do? Well, you go after them personally, or you look for something that, that you can redefine who they are. And so you can start to make people think, well, he's actually not the guy I thought he was. And I think... That's probably what's going on here. Uh, in fact, let me, let me read the passage, and then we'll get into it. That way you know more about what I'm talking about. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20, says, And he, that's Jesus, and he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. But, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began, to, began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself... That kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And then in verses 31 to 35, you, you see there where his mothers and brothers arrive. And uh, of course, you know, the crowd so packed in that room. And they say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And he makes that statement, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about around him, he says, behold, my, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And, he, and we won't get into the point there, but I wanted to, to make it clear that the family came down here. And because of what happens in verse 21. So let's back up to verse 20 where we started. Here's Jesus. He comes home, it says. That's going to be Capernaum. He comes down there, and, the, and the, so many people are there. So he's already got folks following him. He's, he's already started his ministry. They're listening to his every word. They're so cramped in, they can't even eat. I mean, that's a packed house. Can't even eat. And then when his own people... Now, who is this? Who's this his own people of verse 21? Some speculate that it's his mother and brothers who come in verses 31 and 35. They're going to take him away. They think he's lost his mind. But think about that. Do you really think Mary, his mom, thinks that about Jesus? That he's lost his mind? That he's gone crazy? That she's part of this? I, I don't think so. 
I think kinsman here is just, you know, the, those people he grew up with, probably they're in Capernaum in his hometown, because that's where he's at, so they've heard Jesus is coming, and they've probably been hearing about everything he's out there teaching and, and all this other stuff, and they're thinking, he's giving the family a bad name. we got to do something about this. we got to get rid of this guy. And so probably his cousins, other distant relatives who you know, have a relationship with him, they don't want him going around soiling the, the good name of their family. So they, they make get up in their own mind. We're going to go and just say, hey, look, he's lost his mind. Don't listen to him, folks. He, he has nothing to do with us. We're, we'll take care of this. All right, we'll get rid of him. And I think that's what they're thinking. And I think Mary and uh, Jesus' br- uh, family come down. They heard about what's coming going on, and they come down probably in support or to make sure this doesn't happen. That's what I think. That's my opinion. And I just want to deal with that real quick. And so you got his own people heard of this. And they want to take him to custody, but they can't just do that. So they're telling people he's lost his senses. He's crazy. Smelling blood in the water. The scribes come down from Jerusalem. And they begin to say that he is possessed by Beelzebub. Now that is interesting. Uh, So they're going around saying that he's casting out demons by the power of demons. So here they are. What are they trying to do is to redefine who Jesus is. They can't defeat his arguments. They can't deny miracles are occurring. So what can they do? Well, 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 we can't say he's from God. Otherwise, we'll have to listen to him and obey him. But what if we said he's from Satan? Then we can get rid of this guy. So this, I think the fact that they say this proves they believe the miracles are happening. And these guys are against them. They don't want they want Jesus out of the way. So they see that the miracles are occurring and they needed to redefine how it's happening and where they're coming from. Jesus getting wind of this calls them to himself. So he said, "Come on over here. I'm not going to let you go around saying stuff like that without an answer." So he calls them in, speaking to them in parables. Before he gets to the parables, he asks a simple question. And I, I kind of imagine in my mind that He's, Jesus is looking at them when he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? And he stops. Now, it's a rhetorical question, but I, I think he, I kind of imagine he lets that sink in for a moment as he looks around at them, lets the crowd think about that for a minute. How, how can Satan cast out Satan? Does that even make sense? And so he gives a couple of illustrations, and illustrations that everyone knows. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That is how you destroy great, powerful kingdoms. Rome was not destroyed by some outside kingdom. They destroyed themselves before someone else could come in and take them. They were too strong to be taken. They were too powerful. Same thing with America. America is too powerful to be taken down. But if you can destroy us from the inside out, you know, in other words, create disunity. Because unity, draw, uh, that's where we draw our strength from, when we become unified. Whenever anything happens to our country, uh, those that are attacking us, the first thing they get worried about is we may unify against them. But if they can create enough division, strong enough division, to keep us divided, then we can be easily taken. A, div- a kingdom divided against itself, that house or, or that, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house, here's the other illustration. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You can't have bickering and infighting. 
You can't, you can't live like, can you imagine trying to live with someone who is completely, totally against you, causing problems for you, constantly creating mischief? They got to go. Can't live that way. That house cannot stand. And then he makes it pretty simple. If Satan, verse 26, has risen up against itself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. And, and, and think about that. What, what is Satan doing? What they're accusing Satan of, or, or Jesus of, oh, he's doing this by the power of Satan, so he's going around. Imagine Satan doing this, going around, casting out his own demons, his people. So he's removing them from these people, and he's saying, aha, I've cast out the demons. So what did he just do? He just helped that person, and he's helping God. That's not his purpose. That's not what his goal is. He doesn't want to make us comfortable and happy. He wants to hurt us because by hurting us, he hurts God. It makes zero sense at all for Satan to be going around casting out demons. And then he makes a curious statement in verse 27, Jesus does. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder the house. Now, in this illustration, he's talking about what he's doing. The strong man, that's, that's the demon. That's Satan, the work of Satan. The property here, I think, is the person. And the binding is what is the casting out of the demon. That's what Jesus is doing. He wants to help the person. It's being taken. He's been taken by somebody. He's been ransomed, and, or he's been... Uh, uh, taken captive, and he wants to take them back. He wants to help that person out. And so he, in order to do that, he's got to bind the power of Satan. Right now, Satan has power over them because he can do these things. So now, here comes Satan. I mean, here comes Jesus, and he is casting them out. He's binding the work, the, the demons, casting them out, and he's freeing the person. But he can't do that unless he does something about the problem. And he's doing something about the problem. It's pretty clear. The, the argument from the scribes is just demolished, destroyed. No way around it. And after making those obvious statements that everyone, you, know, you, just, you almost see that everyone in the crowd going, shaking their head, yep, yep, that's right. Scribes are probably fuming and red-faced. And then he says this. Here's the important thing here. Here's what's going on. Truly I say to you, now right there, that phrase... Uh, if you have a King James, it's probably truly, truly, I say to you. This is the only place where Mark has that statement. And what that statement means is, I have something very important I want to say to you. You better pay attention. It's kind of like what, when you got children. What do you do if you're trying to get your children's attention? I, I've got three kids, another one on the way. And uh, the, what my wife and I do to get their attention when they don't listen, because you know you can say their name again and again and again, and they don't even pay attention to you. But if you, you know, clap, snap your fingers or you know, slap your hands together, get their attention, it, it always works. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, 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 oh, look over here. I want you to pay attention. Listen closely to this. This is very important. Truly, I say to you, listen to me. All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. Now, that's pretty serious. 
Are you telling me, Jesus, that there is a sin out there that if I commit that sin, there's no hope for me? I thought, I don't understand. He's saying, yep, there sure is. Now, don't we want to know what that is today? Don't we want to understand this to make sure we can not do that? Stay away from it? Absolutely. So what is it? What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? The New American Standard has Holy Spirit here capitalized, meaning they believe it is the third person of the Godhead. Now, the next verse, verse 30, Mark writes in here in his gospel, because after he says that, you know, blessing against the Holy Spirit uh, never has forgiveness, because they, this is going to be the scribes, were saying he has an unclean spirit. Why were they saying he has an unclean spirit? They were saying you're, you're casting out demons by the power of demons, by the power of Beelzebub, by Satan. That, that's saying you have an unclean spirit. And what they're doing is denying the miracles and what they really mean and where they came from. And so here's, here's what's going on. Here's God, all through the Old Testament, kept saying, I'm going to send you someone. My, uh, it's going to be the anointed one, and he is going to you know, bring you into the right relationship with, with me. He's going to, through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How so? He's going to let you guys really know who I am. My word will be on your heart. And so here he comes. He wants to save as many people as he can. And who did he send? His own son. God in the flesh. And on top of that, here he is speaking these powerful words, speaking as if as someone with authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, people were just astonished by his words, his ability to speak and make things so clear to them. And on top of that, after he says all these powerful words, he performs a miracle. Imagine someone who has literally no arm or no hand and he heals them. It grows back. You see that occur. It's obvious. Oh, man, this guy is someone. <laughs> Who is this Jesus? And so these miracles confirm the words that he is speaking. And what else could God possibly send them to make them listen and understand that this is the way? Well, someone may say, well, what if God came down to himself? He is God. There is nothing greater or more powerful that he could present to us than Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, performing miracles. What else could possibly, could he possibly send you to change your mind, to convict the heart? What else could possibly be sent? Nothing. This is it. I mean, this what, what greater thing could there possibly be other than God coming down, giving words, and performing miracles? What, what, other, what else could it possibly be? Nothing. There is nothing more powerful to convince you than that. God himself standing in front of you, speaking words, performing miracles. And if you do not accept these miracles, where they came from, you've got no hope. Because there's nothing greater coming. There's nothing greater coming. If you haven't accepted anything else, and especially this, you have no hope. You're guilty of an eternal sin because there's nothing greater than this right here, right now. It's not the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. And they were not willing to accept it. That's why you don't see many scribes, Sadducees, 
coming over to the truth. They deny what they saw. Now, can we be guilty of this sin? Well, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's find out. Now, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, if we, I hope we got time for this. I think I do. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uh, is dealing with a, a group who, are, you know, they've, they've been elevating the miraculous. Chapter 12 is all about Paul. He's enumerating the, the miraculous powers of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's saying, talking about what they are, and th- and in Corinth they were saying, you know, you know, if you have this, if you're able to speak in tongues, that's the best spiritual gift to have. I, I think that's what they were doing there, and so he goes through that, and he says, you know, not uh, not everyone's an apostle, not everyone's a teacher, not everyone's a prophet or workers of miracles, not everyone has gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues. This is the end of, of chapter twelve. All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way, better way than the miraculous. And chapter thirteen opens up: If I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you're useless. Useless. You might as well just stop what you're doing because it's no, it's of no good or no purpose. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Why? Because love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So what is he saying? You need to focus on love and loving the way Jesus loved us. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. How do we know that? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. That's verses 9 and 10 here in verse Corinthians chapter 13. So what does he mean? Well, he's talking about the miraculous. Because at that moment... There in Corinth, in the time of the New Testament Christians, they only knew in part. They could only prophesy in part. In other words, when they're st- uh, uh, sitting in a congregational setting with other people, they didn't have a New Testament Bible like we do today. So they had to wait until they received a direct revelation from God. And when they did, they stood up and they didn't quote the entire Bible. They gave a particular uh, uh, thought that God wanted them to have right then and there. They were in their infancy. They were just babies, just like you treated a ba- uh, uh, your children today. If you're raising them, you don't try to teach them everything all at once. It's when they need it, at the right time. And you help them along until they get mature enough where they can do it on their own. And you provide them with the information they need there. And, and now they're ready to go. They have good access to the good resource. And so here, they, they know in part, they prophesy. Right? So it's only bits and pieces of the will of God, the knowledge of God. 
But when the perfect, that, that Greek term there is really complete, when it comes, verse 10, the partial will be done away. Why? Because we'll have the whole pie. We won't just have little slices here and there. We'll have all of it all at once. That's the word of God. It's the full will, the full revelation from the Lord that we have, hopefully somewhere in our houses, in our laps, reading it every day. Verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. In other words, I was immature. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. I didn't need the things, those things that you do for children anymore to help them along because I now have the full understanding. For now, verse 12, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Now there he's talking about when he says uh, now, he's talking about their current situation. The then is looking to the future when the perfect comes, that which is complete. So looking in a mirror dimly, it's like when you're looking at a, a brandished piece of metal. You can't see detail. You just see this blur. You can tell it's a human being, but that's about it. That's all you got. You can't see the details of the hair or the skin, the eye color, or anything like that. But eventually, when the perfect comes, then, when that comes, then you can see as if you're looking at somebody face-to-face. You can see all the details. You can tell. You can see everything. That's the word of God. Now I can really see the full will of God. I can see my Lord completely, just, and I can know him just as I've been fully known by him. Now it's both ways. That's fantastic. But right now, faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Notice he didn't mention any of the miraculous there. That's what he's telling the, the Corinthians. And this will always be for the Christian era. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is the ability to stand here on earth and with our spiritual eyes see the things of heaven. Whereas hope is where is the ability to, or is when you have that confident expectation of knowing that all the promises that God has made, he will give them to us. And love is the, that, that love that God showed us through his son. Those three things are, will always be here. The greatest is love because faith and hope, will you need those things when you actually receive heaven and are in heaven? No. They're not eternal, but love is who God is and it will always be. I want to go into that more, but I'm running out of time. Please study this out. We cannot blaspheme against the Holy Spirit today. Miracles don't occur anymore. And we can talk about that more. If you have a question, send that on in to us. I'd appreciate it. Folks, make the most of every opportunity. Take the opportunity to read your Bibles every day. It is the perfect which has come and lets us know the full will of God. Thank you. May the Lord bless you in your studies. For Jehovah's mighty son, ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.